You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Health Hub. I'm Kathy Biasa, your host, and along with our producer, Alex Diaz, we would like to welcome you to our show. Hey, Alex, how are you doing? Keeping busy, but it's been productive so far. It's been a really good uh, couple of days. Excellent. So as, as we're recording the show, we're really well into spring, just the beginning, uh, well, beginning of April. It's so lovely out. It's just so nice. That uh, even though we're spending a lot of time at home, we can uh, get out into the good weather. So lots of things to be thankful for. That's for sure. I try and practice some gratitude every day, as I hope you guys all do. We need gratitude at this time in our lives. So hopefully that's, uh, oh, it really is. And it doesn't have to be some grand gesture, just you know, I'm thankful every day that I can put my feet on the floor and get out of bed. That's the first thing that I'm thankful for. So lots of things that we can focus on. So true. It is. Uh, today's show is being taped, so no opportunity for calling in. One day soon, Alex will be in, show, in the studio together, but uh, today, no. So again, um, no opportunity for calling in, but please do subscribe to our podcast. We are the Health Hub on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, all your favorite podcast platforms, and you can find all of our recordings on the Maria, Radio Maria Canada website, which is radiomaria.ca, and on my website, which is kathybiasse.com. And uh, we would love for you to subscribe to our podcast and please do follow us. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We are at the health hub RMC in all three locations and our email address is THH at radiomaria.ca. There's just no reason that you can't contact so many different ways for us to, to get in touch with each other for, I'm not getting in touch with you, but for you to reach out to us and then we will sure surely be back at you. So um, again, please, please do follow us and uh, subscribe, hit that subscribe button on the podcast so that uh, it's really not much of an effort for you to hear our shows every week. And of course, the feedback does go a long way in terms of giving us the, uh, the sort of guidance as to which direction we want to take the show, depending on the feedback you receive, right? So it's uh, absolutely it's helpful. Absolutely. And people have emailed us um, topics that they like covered. And um, I had somebody, a longtime listener to our show, um, email and said she had heard uh, somebody um, and just found her very, very insightful and thought she'd be a good fit for the show. And we've gone out and grabbed her. And uh, actually, I think next week we're recording her. So always happy to take your feedback. The show is for you. It's for your health. It's to help you move forward. So happy, happy, happy to hear from you. So as mentioned, I think I mentioned, not even sure now, but our show today is taped. Um, and our guest today is Dan DeFigio, and he's a well-known nutrition expert who has been featured on CNN's First Nation, The Dr. Phil Show, 
Self Magazine, Reader's Digest, Weight Watchers, Shape Magazine, and a host of other media outlets. He's best known for helping people overcome emotional eating and stress eating. And Dan is the author of Beating Sugar Addiction for Dummies and the founder of BeatingSugarAddiction.com. And I have been looking um, for someone to come on to the show to talk about sugar and talk about um, uh, beating sugar addiction. And he has fit the bill beautifully. So we're going to talk about a lot of things. Um, Some of the major learning points are why sugar is addictive and how is sugar addiction tied to emotional eating. And what are some steps um, that we can take to start on this process of busting our sugar addiction? So I hope you stay tuned with us. Dan's a wonderful speaker, and I think you'll really enjoy what he has to say and get some very solid tips on managing our sugar intake. So everybody, we will be back in a few minutes. They say sometimes you win some, sometimes you lose some. And right now, right now I'm losing bad. I've stood on this stage night after night, reminding the broken it'll be alright. But right now, Oh, right now I just can't It's easy to sing When there's nothing to bring me down But what will I say When I'm held to the flame Like I am right now Say it only takes a little faith to move a mountain. Well, good thing a little faith is all I had right now. God, when you choose to leave mountains unmovable, oh, give me the strength to be. I know you care. 
You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. As mentioned, today our show is being taped, so no opportunity for calling in. And um, also, please follow us on our social sites. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We are at the Health Hub RMC in all three locations. And email us at thh at radiomaria.ca. I always love to hear from you. Dan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Kathy. It's great to be on your show. I've, I've been looking a long time for a person to talk about sugar. It's, it's a lot of people are very familiar with the downside of sugar, but um, really getting an understanding of how this impacts overall health and bringing the, the picture full circle for everybody, I think is very important to see because I think the more knowledge that people gain about um, the negative impact of sugar on health, the better they can make their decisions. How did you decide to get into this niche? I started uh, teaching exercise and nutrition in the early 1990s. So I'm 117 years old. (laughs) (laughs) And um, please don't say that. It came to me really quickly, very early on in the game, that um, stress eating and sugar addiction was a real problem for a lot of people. So I started to develop some programs and some plans to help people deal with emotional eating and eat less sugar and and start to wean themselves away from being addicted to this harmful substance. And um, I I write a lot. So uh, I was an early internet adopter in the 1990s. So a lot of my materials were posted on blogs and magazines and things like that online. And one day um, in the 2000s, the the folks who uh, published the dummies books, you know, Wiley is the name of the company. They published the, the dummies books. They called me up one day out of the blue and they said, we love your material and we would like you to write a book for us. So we batted around a couple different ideas and beating sugar addiction for dummies was born. Well, that's, and it's, you know, the, the thing with, with this is it's become more and more um, of a problem for people. Why do you think that that is so? Like, why, why is sugar addiction um, so prevalent these days? I think it, sugar is a problem for folks for several reasons. Number one, it seems like it's everywhere. Um, in the modern food supply, in the Western food supply, uh, it's loaded with sugar and other harmful substances. So one of the reasons that uh, I, when I coach people, I really try to get them to stick to natural foods is it, it alleviates this problem. Uh, sure, there is sugar in natural foods, right? Fruit, all carbohydrates break down into sugar. But the question is, how much is in there and how fast does it break down? And what else is included in all these processed foods? So uh, sugar is just an easy, ubiquitous substance for people to grab. And I think another problem is that it's socially acceptable, If you have a problem with, uh, let's say, narcotics, if you're a heroin addict, there's a social stigma to that. Or if you have a gambling problem, there's a stigma to that. But if you eat too much sugar, if you rely on sugar to get through the day, if you have a problem with food, then, you know, it's socially acceptable. There's no stigma to that. So it's a lot easier to, to have this problem and not get help. 
society. I never looked at it that way. It's a, it's a club. It's a, it's a welcoming club, the sugar addiction club. Yeah, it sure can be. It sure and, can. You know, does it impact our brain? You know, this is, I, I read about this all the time. I'm sure everyone out there listening is reading about this all the time. Does it in fact impact our brain too much sugar? Sure. It, it really does. Um, our brains have these pleasure centers that get activated from different, um, from different hormones that we produce uh, and substances that give us pleasure like alcohol, like drugs, like sugar, they activate all these same pathways to give us pleasure and we can become addicted to that. And the problem with addiction, well, of any kind really, is that our receptors for these chemicals start to become less and less sensitive. So you need more and more of the substance to get that same high. So that's why, uh, you know, the alcoholic needs to drink more and more to get drunk. The sugar addict needs to eat more and more to get the sugar buzz. So it really, um, it can be just as addictive as other dangerous substances, even cocaine. There's actually here, Kathy, you'll get a kick out of this. There's actually a research uh, article that was published that was, examining the addictive nature of sugar versus cocaine and they use rats and they got these poor rats addicted to cocaine and addicted to sugar and they gave them both a lever or they gave the rats uh, two levers you know one would give them cocaine and the other one would give them sugar and the the rats always went for the sugar lever instead of the cocaine lever they liked it better than the cocaine Interesting. And, and then it, how does this impact our overall, like systemically? So we're moving from top to bottom. How does sugar negatively impact us throughout our body? Oh, my goodness. I mean, I think most people know that too much sugar is not good for you. Mm -hmm. But some things that might surprise folks um, are that sugar, uh, especially in, the, in these times right now, in pandemic times, sugar depresses your, immu your immune system pretty uh pretty strongly and pretty rapidly. If you eat a pile of sugar within a, uh, within a couple hours, you've got uh, several of your immune cells that are, are being produced at much lower levels than they should be. So if you are constantly eating sugar every few hours throughout the day, you're walking around with a suppressed immune system 24-7, and that's a real problem. Sugar is also uh, one of the things that can uh, negatively impact the, what we call the intestinal flora, the, the gut, the healthy bacteria that's in our digestive system. One of the things that we are learning, Kathy, as uh, science about our, our own human physiology progresses is how important this, what we call the microbiome is, this, the health of your gut, the intestinal flora. It is not only important for digestion, but our gut produces a lot of our immune system. And it also produces a lot of our hormones for our brain, like serotonin. Mm -hmm. this, is, this is news to a lot of folks. So we're starting to learn how we eat affects our brain and our immune system and our digestion and all these kinds of things, different types of nutrient absorptions and interactions. These are all affected by our gut. So when you eat a substance that is harmful to the intestinal flora, it changes the makeup of your microbiome and can set you up for yeast infections. It can set you up for irritable bowel problems like colitis and Crohn's disease and irritable bowel syndrome. 
Um, it does depress the immune system. It affects your, your hormone production. As I mentioned, uh, serotonin, most of the serotonin in, in your body is actually made in your gut. So what you eat affects so much more than what people might consider to be your typical air quotes, nutrition. hundred percent. You're, you're, you're talking my language here. Now, when you're working with your clients, are you seeing this um, excessive sugar? I, I'm, I'm assuming there's a spectrum, right? There's sugar addiction, then there's excessive overeating or consumption of sugar. Are you seeing this, or maybe a better way to put it, through your time working in this area, have you seen the demographic change or is it the same focal group that you're working with? Uh, a lot of people will, will look to children as having a sugar addiction, but are you seeing this pervasive in all demographics? You do see it in all demographics. Um, I put sugar addiction under the same umbrella as a few other issues. It's just a different version of emotional eating. Okay. So under the emotional eating umbrella, we have sugar addiction, we have stress eating, we have using food as a substitute for some type of emotional desire. So these kinds of behaviors are all really what I consider emotional eating. And those are the kinds of folks uh, that I see to, to help. So as far as the demographics go, um, I don't work with children, although I do read a lot about the uh, sort of alarming um, increase in sugar consumption in children. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to emotional eating, um, the demographic tip for me, typically, these are folks who have a little bit of life under their belt. I suppose my, my sort of mm -hmm. Typical, it's a very pleasant average, way of saying that. Yeah, average person is probably a middle-aged or older individual. Um, I would say that my demographic is probably two women for every one man. Okay. I don't know whether emotional eating is more statistically a female versus male thing, or if women are just more prone to be aware of it and seek out help mm -hmm. more than men are. Uh, I'm not sure what that is, but um, that those are those are the demographics that I see in my own private practice. So in our household, we are three females and three males. Right. And I know that myself and my daughters will tend more, even though you know we 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 do our best to eat well, will tend more towards the carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. Whereas my husband and my two sons, they will go more towards the protein. I don't know if this is a female comfort food thing. I know um, in doing some research throughout a woman's cycle, uh, some women are more prone to craving carbohydrates at different times in their cycle. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm wondering if, if there's like sort of a, 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 you know, women are from where and men are from Mars sort of idea where women more gravitate towards carbohydrates naturally and have to work maybe a bit harder to flip that switch. Is that, is that just something I observe or do you find that? No, I think that's, uh, that's probably not an uncommon scenario. Okay. I mean, comfort foods in general are called that because we do have a physiological response to mm -hmm. carbohydrates. 
that uh, give us the, the feel-good hormones, the serotonin, the dopamine, those types of, those types of hormones. So um, there is a reason why they're called that, and they do have that effect on us. So that's not a made-up thing. But, you know, it's funny just being at home um, for a year and having, you know, the family around uh, and preparing for the show is just kind of, you know, taking a, a closer look at our eating habits and so forth. And, you know, my husband and my son will eat when they're hungry and um, they don't seem to eat the type of food that my daughter and I eat, but we'll go, you know, having breakfast in the morning, be busy and not eat again till dinner. And it's, it's a funny dynamic. It could be just our little microcosm, but um, it, it's just, it's, it seems that women do tend to, to go, go towards that and just the, the way that I'm looking at it. Now, is it possible that people can be backdoored into a sugar addiction? Tell me what you mean by backdoored into. So if, if someone is just, you know, you know, they're not they're craving sugars, but they tend towards that type of food because it's in the house. And then all of a sudden the body is wanting that more carbohydrates and more oh, carbohydrates. Absolutely. So yeah. not an emotional eating per se, but just maybe a nutrient deficiency. And yep. they're tending more towards the carbohydrates because of that. Yeah, that's a, that's a great, um, that's a great way to describe it. So if you are regularly consuming these high sugar, high sweet, high flavored, what they're called hyper palatables in the mm -hmm. science world. That's the snazzy term for it. If you are constantly consuming these hyper palatables, you know, the, the very sweet foods, the very salty foods, the very uh, fatty and savory type foods, then you are going to learn unconsciously to gravitate towards more and more of these for that same uh, receptor depression that we talked about. When we get these chemical highs from external substances, then uh, over time, we become less sensitive to that. Mm -hmm. So we, we want to keep having more and more. So our brains become addicted from a circuitry standpoint mm -hmm. to getting this certain input. So if a green salad with baked chicken is not giving you that brain buzz that your pleasure center wants, then it's going to poke at you to find something that gives you that. And how long you, would you say more, this rewiring takes? Say again now. How long would you think this rewiring takes so that you're oh, not wow. getting that poke after dinner for dessert? Yeah, it, that seems to be pretty specific to different okay. people. So it really depends. I don't have a good answer that, uh, you know, it takes X amount of days or X amount of exposures to an excessive substance in order to, to make a wiring. I think every individual's brain is a little bit different. Okay. Now, have, when you're working with people, do you sort of test? I don't know if it's testing that I'm the right word for, for your practice. But are you looking to beef up maybe some nutrient deficiencies in their diet to help beat the sugar? Yeah, that's a great point, Kathy. Uh, definitely. One of the things that I commonly will do is have someone just keep a food journal for a couple days mm -hmm. so I can look at the big picture of how they're feeding yourself on a, on a normal day in and day out basis. And you are absolutely correct that if you are deficient in certain nutrients uh, or even some macronutrients, like let's say protein, if you're not eating enough protein or if you're not drinking enough water, if you're dehydrated, 
You know, the, the part of the brain that controls your hunger is right next to the part of the brain that is uh, thirsty. So in the hypothalamus. So um, if you're dehydrated, that part of your brain is going to light up. And even though you're actually thirsty, you may interpret that as, oh, I need to eat more. Interesting. Um, let's take a quick break here because I want to save the last, uh, the second segment of our show to talk about how you, you know, get down and dirty in working with these people and maybe some tips that we can give, give our listeners here. So let's take a quick break here. Everybody will be back in a second. There's no space that his love can't reach. There's no place where we can't find peace. There's no end to amazing grace. Take me in with your arms spread wide. Take me in like an orphan child. Never let go.
You are listening to The Health Hub here on Radio Maria Canada. A Catholic voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, email thh at radiomaria.ca. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. Let's continue on our conversation with busting sugar, sugar addiction, the whole nine yards. I think one of the words, Dan, that we we didn't come across in our first part of our conversation was the word inflammation. And I think when we're talking about all of this, the overall riding issue is it can increase inflammation, this addiction to sugar. Is that correct? Certainly. Sugar is a very inflammatory substance. And we are learning in nutrition science that systemic inflammation is responsible for a host of chronic illnesses and not being wellness. Mm -hmm. So um, foods like sugar, foods like um, processed meats, uh, processed carbohydrates, alcohol, all these kinds of uh, pro-inflammatory foods when eaten on a very regular basis will keep your body in a sort of chronically inflamed state And that causes all sorts of problems from heart disease to cancer to uh, even Alzheimer's has a link now to uh, chronic inflammation because it's a, it's a circulatory disorder in the brain. So uh, trying to minimize your, uh, your chronic inflammation is an important step in staying well and staying healthy. Absolutely. And, and this is why I wanted to have you in particular on the show, because we're not talking about dieting here. No. I mean, I know that's one of the things that, that you do in your practice and you work with weight loss, I believe, um, and yo-yo dieting and, and so forth. But I want you, everyone listening here to understand, we're not just talking about shedding pounds when we're trying to beat sugar addiction. We're talking about trying to optimize your health here. And when you get your, your eating under control, when you can understand the impact that sugar has on your body, it, weight loss will come. But the focal point here is that for your overall health, you really do need to be in charge of what you're eating. And one, you know, you, you said it, and I'm sure you say it all the time, but I wanted to pull it out here. You said eating these things on a regular basis. So I'm a big fan of, of, education and trying to get people to understand things like we're talking about here, but it's not that you have to deprive yourself completely. Is it? It's that we're talking about an overall healthy way of eating. Yes, you are absolutely right. And thank you for clarifying that. I am not one of these freaks who thinks that nobody should ever eat an ounce of sugar in anything ever. That is, uh, you know, it's not realistic. It's not sustainable. Mm -hmm. And I mean, to be honest, who wants to live like that, right? What is the world like without ice cream? You know, exactly. And, you know, we don't want to be shamers of anybody either. And and this is life. This is fun. I mean, Lord knows staying at home, um, you know, for a year and a bit, you, you need to have some sort of balance in your life. So we're talking about getting things under control and understanding. So when you're working with people, well, first of all, before I get into how, how you sort of walk them through steps, maybe you could go over some sugar bombs that people may not even be aware of when they're eating. One thing for me comes to mind is ketchup. 
But are there things that you have come across when you're working with people that you know are highly processed with sugar that they are so surprised about? Most of the processed carbohydrates are problems for folks. I don't want to get too geeky and nerdy on um, the breakdown of carbohydrate in the digestive system. Mm -hmm. But in a nutshell, the more processed a carbohydrate is, the faster it breaks down in the digestive system and the faster it enters your bloodstream. And faster is not good when it comes to blood sugar release. When you eat carbohydrates from an unprocessed source, like vegetables, oh, and vegetables are carbohydrates, by the way. A lot of people are surprised to know that. Vegetables, fruits, and grains are your uh, primary carbohydrate sources. It's not just um, grains and starches. A lot of folks, when they say carbs, what they mean in their mind are potatoes and pasta and rice. Uh, but vegetables and fruits are, and uh, other kinds of plant material, those are all carbohydrate sources, just to, just to be clear about that. Good so clarification. If you eat a carbohydrate like vegetable, uh, yes, it does break down into sugar like all carbohydrates do, but it does so much more slowly because it's loaded with water and fiber and lots of nutrients. And so it takes more time to digest and break down. Whereas if you drink a Coca-Cola, there's virtually nothing that needs to be done for that sugar to be digested. It just blows up your pancreas and goes into the, uh, into the bloodstream. It gives you this big uh, spike of blood sugar and that creates a a big insulin response. And then pretty soon, if you do that on a regular basis, you start to become insulin resistant, which is pre-diabetic. So, uh, Oh, also, um, I don't want to go, go away without saying that uh, those big spikes in insulin set you up for fat storage also. That's one of the big, big problems with uh, high insulin levels is it promotes fat storage and prevents uh, fat loss also. So um, the kinds of carbohydrates that you eat are really important because if you eat a lot of these processed carbohydrates – you're really setting yourself up for problems when it comes to uh, the insulin response. So mm-hmm. thank you for asking that question. Oh, um, now let's talk about, uh, you know, I'm sure people are listening here wanting to know, okay, we understand that now. Now how do I get over this issue? Are there actionable steps that um, people can start implementing right away? Certainly. Certainly. You had used Kathy, you had used the phrase a little bit ago, being in charge of your eating. And I love that phrase. And that is exactly the approach that I take when it comes to um, trying to steer people in the right direction. The biggest problem that people have in general when it comes to emotional eating and healthy eating is generally eating on purpose instead of eating reactively. Mm -hmm. If you are taking notes during the show, please write that down. I'm writing it down right now, actually. That's awesome. (laughs) Uh, Because that, you know, honestly, you know, I I don't know about you, but I'm not perfect. And I fall into this category of not eating on purpose. Yeah, I mean, we all do it. But the question is, how often do you do it? Mm -hmm. And if that's your normal way of being, then you're going to end up in trouble. And so what I try to do is help people get a handle on that so that most of the time, 
um, their, their normal, what they do normally is not reactive or emotional eating or uh, reaching for sugar every time they have a bad day or a bad feeling, but to be much more proactive and much more purposeful in how they, how they eat. If you want, here's, here's another thing to write down. Whatever you get, whatever you do most of the time, that's what you get. Okay, here it goes. So I'm down. This applies to every aspect of life, not mm -hmm. just nutrition, but it applies to your relationships, uh, your work ethic, your, your attitude and your levels of happiness versus unhappiness. Whatever you do most of the time, you're going to get the results of that. Whatever is normal for you, mm -hmm. you get the results of that. So if there is something that you do not like in your life, and we're talking about food right now. So let's say you don't like how you're eating. You have to change what you usually do. You have to change what is normal for you. And that is why diets don't work because they don't change your normal. You go on this temporary plan that's usually very restrictive and very unrealistic and very unsustainable. And sure, you may lose some weight or you may improve your eating or whatever you're trying to do there for a short period of time. But eventually you go off of that plan. And if you haven't changed your habits, then you just have no choice but to go back to what you used to do. And mm -hmm. that, Kathy, is what got people in trouble in the first place, right? Absolutely. So you're, you're teaching people, you're, you're teaching people, which I think is great. You're not telling them what to do. You're teaching people. And I think that is the foothold of making change. Uh, yes, I am uh, teaching them how to fish instead of uh, giving them, instead of feeding them the fish, right? I'm going to remember that, eating on purpose, not reactively. Because, uh, you know, I mean, intuitively, um, I guess a lot of us know, but when you say it out loud, it's like, you know, and I do see so many times in my own life where I'm more eating, okay, I feel a little hungry now, now I'll grab something. Um, and this, we're talking here about preparation. We're talking about thoughtfulness with eating. And again, we're not talking here about restrictive gross foods. We're talking about incorporating healthy foods into a purposefully laid out plan. Yeah. If you, if what you normally do, let's say 80% of the time is plan your food in advance. So, you know, uh, uh, what you're going to eat and approximately when, and most of that is uh, healthy vegetables and fruits and lean proteins. Then the other 20%, you've got a little bit of, uh, you know, a little bit of slush room there. A little there. bit of wiggle room. Yeah. So but do you do meal plans for people? Is that how you approach it at first? I do do meal. I have uh, on the beatingsugaraddiction.com website, there is a, uh, a weekly healthy meal plan and shopping list that I have available for folks. And it only costs $10 a month. So it's kind of a no brainer. If you want ideas for ways to make healthy food interesting, or if you, uh, if you want, if some people just like to have a plan, tell me what to eat and that's what I'll do. And so they can follow the plan exactly or they can um, use it for ideas for, you know, I want to make an interesting dinner, you know, and, and everything's done for you with these meal plans as far as the macronutrient ratios and the calorie control and all that. So I, I do offer that to folks, but the primary thing that I like to think that I offer people is the one-on-one -on -one work where we talk about this emotional eating and their habits and their behaviors and why they are doing what they are doing. Um, if I may, I'd like to dive in to a little bit of that to try to help some of the listeners right now. Absolutely. Before we run out of time. So 
emotional eating as an umbrella generally comes from one of two motivations. And I, you see this in some form or fashion almost all the time when it comes to uh, emotional reactive eating. Reason number one is using food as a substitute for what we really want. Let's take an example. You're at work in the office, you're stressed out, you're overwhelmed, your boss is yelling at you, your kids have been sick, uh, a tree fell on the car the other day, you know, everything is just totally stressed and it's an awful, awful day and you're having a terrible day and your urge is to reach for the donuts because you're having a bad day. If you pause and think about that, what you are probably seeking in the moment when you're feeling so overwhelmed and stressed out is some sort of a feeling of being in control or a sense of peacefulness or calm or maybe being valued if your boss is berating you or, or whatever. You know, it, what you want is not sugar. What you want is not a donut. What you want is some emotional feeling. So we get in trouble when we pretend in our mind that the donut can give us the calm or the peacefulness or the control that we're seeking. Why don't we reach for a carrot? <laughs> well, <laughs> I suppose it, we could train our brains that a carrot equals calm or uh, peacefulness, but the carrot doesn't equal that either. So the big picture is food does not equal the emotion that you want. Fair enough. Yep. So what you can do as a practice, and this is one of the drills that I give a lot of my clients, when you have that urge, right, to reach for whatever it is, that's your red flag to pause for just a moment and say, okay, there's the urge for the donut or whatever your thing is. What's your thing, Kathy? Let's use you as an example. My thing, if I was reaching, uh, you know what my thing would be is a bowl of cereal. Cereal. Okay. So um, if you want to reach for the cereal, out of a reaction to something that is happening or how you are feeling, that's your red flag. And you say, okay, there, here's where I pause. What is it that I am really seeking here in this moment? And then you just take a little inventory. And it only takes literally three or four seconds to pause and think about what it is that you really want. And here's the cool thing, Kathy, you don't actually have to have the answer. You may not know what it is you are really seeking emotionally, but the fact that you broke the cycle by thinking about it, instead of just reacting and diving into the cereal, that is enough to break the habit. That's right. And it's the, it's these steps that uh, lay the foundation of, of real true change and everlasting change. What yeah. else can we do with the emotional eating? Any other tips that way? Yeah. We all, I can't, I can't believe that there's anyone, well, I shouldn't say that, I know that most of the people that are in my circle, we have bouts of emotional eating. Of or, course, you know, Ooh. some people go for a glass of wine at the end of a long day. And again, we have to divide up between what's excessive and what's what's reasonable. Yeah, precisely. Um, if it becomes a problem, then it needs addressed. So, um, yeah, using food as a substitute for what you really want is sort of thing number one. Thing number two is using a substance as a distraction. We all have 
uncomfortable emotions, right? We all get upset or sad or lonely or angry or have self-esteem feelings of, you know, not measuring up, whatever we are feeling bad about. Our brains are wired in a way to get us away from those feelings. <laughs> we will do just about anything to not feel bad. So chomping on the donuts or the sugary breakfast cereal gives our brain something else to think about for a minute or two. So it's a reprieve. It's a break. It's a distraction from feeling bad. And that is the other reason people use food or other substances. Actually, that's one of the primary drivers of addictive behavior in general, alcohol, drugs, gambling, sex, you know, whatever your thing is to use. Um, it's very often a distraction from, from feeling bad. And one, one area um, that I noticed, again, because I've had such a microcosm to work with over the, the year, uh, developing habits. Um, we, we found this, um, my daughter loves this one particular ice cream. And I was never even an ice cream eater. And then every once in a while, we'll sit down, we'll start watching TV. And that's when snacks will come out, you know, at the end of the day, um, the ice cream that I really never partook in before is something now that I enjoy. And it's like, this is a habit that I've developed and, and without even knowing, and this is sort of, again, back to that backdoor idea. Um, you know, we're at home, we don't have a lot to do. So we eat. Why not? Eh? Mm -hmm. Yeah, what you have just described is not uh, emotional eating, but it is mindless eating. Absolute. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. And, and that, I'm glad you brought it up because those types of habits come from simple association. Hmm. And the good news is those are the easiest habits to change. You know, all the emotional work that we talked about with uh, emotional substitution or distraction from uncomfortable emotions, that's work. Right. I mean, that's that's hard to do. And it takes a, a, a lot of effort and self-awareness. And, uh, and and that's a journey. But breaking habits that are just simple associations is a lot simpler. So what you have described and thank you so much for um, for bringing this up, because this is a really nice um, add on to the big two things that we talked about. The association. OK, what you described was. When it's time to wind down at the end of the night, you turn on the TV and then the snacks come out. So basically what you have done <laughs> is you have built an association between relaxing and TV, first of all, and relaxing plus TV also equals snack time. So those three things in your brain, you have lumped together. So what you're telling yourself is if I'm going to relax, then I must watch TV and I must snack. That equals relaxation. So those are the associations that we build, those mm -hmm. kinds of things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. You fix so, me. Well, I have to fix me, but you nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> so the, um, the simple way around that is to say, okay, I want to relax. What am I going to do? And if you want to watch TV, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, and then you can you make another decision. It's like, all right, do the snacks need to come along with this, right? Am I actually hungry? If I am going to snack and I am hungry, what am I going to choose? Am I going to have potato chips or am I going to have something that's a little bit better for me? Mm -hmm. You know, these decision-making processes. The, it, we go right back to eating on purpose instead of reacting. Yep, you're right. It's all about intention. Yep. What am I going to do at this moment? 
Absolutely. And associations. And honestly, what I've stopped doing now is having my tea at night because I found that I was like having my tea led to uh, someone bringing out cookies as well. And it's like, you know what, if I don't have the tea, I don't even like the the cookies aren't even a part of the process. So I've sort of doing that. You know, maybe this goes to show we're always having to work at things, you know, uh, there's a perfectionism is just something I, you know, I, I just don't recommend people trying to attain. But I think when you understand, um, like Dan is sharing with us here, you can start moving in the right direction. And I think that that's just such an important piece of, of trying to, you know, continually build upon this health. I put a post up um, yesterday in my Facebook group. Um, it was actually Chris Presser who sent, uh, I'm on his email list. And he posed the question about what is health to you? And I thought, that's brilliant. You know, we, we have, I think a lot of us have this ideal of what health should be, and we're continually reaching for it instead of cultivating and working towards what our idea of health is. And I think, you know, the way you're approaching people and the way you um, are working with them, it allows people space and freedom to cultivate their understanding of health. And I think that's a, a perfect way to work with people, Dan. Boy, that was really nicely said. I might have to change some of the wording on my website. Thank well, you. Well, I've got eating on purpose. <laughs> I've got that down here. That's coming up somewhere with my group. Um, but, it, you know, these, it, this is why we have all these conversations, right? We're always trying to reword things. You know, what is health? Is it no symptomology? Is it no disease? Is it a mindset? All of these things that we have to keep working about. But, you know, one thing, again, because we're, we've been, you know, pushed down so much this year, um, do we always want to be thinking about our health that we just want to be doing and living? And I think, you know, you're teaching people to put the right pieces to, to follow the right path so that we're not always having to think about our health. We're, we're, we're doing things as we should be doing and health is coming to us. And I think there's such a big difference in mindset there. I really yes. do that. My mm-hmm. opinion anyways, you are absolutely correct. When you, when you build the habits so that what you usually do, what your normal looks like is healthier, then you don't have to think about it. Absolutely. And, you know, it, it's not good to continually be worrying and thinking about your health. So having a putting these things into place is just this is the ideal understanding, you know, to eat purposefully. And so this is what I'm going to be doing. And then all of a sudden, this is a habit and it's just being done and you're living your life and you're happy. And, and, and that's that's the ultimate, right? That's the ultimate is we want to live a happy, peaceful, healthy life. So Dan, thank you for being such a wonderful guest on the show. Very easy to talk to and everything's coming out. You know, you say everything so beautifully and clearly. It's, it's, it's wonderful to have you on the show. Where can people get um, a hold of you? I think you have some offerings on your website as well. Can you tell us? Sure. My, my headquarters for all this is beatingsugaraddiction.com. And I have a pile of free guidebooks to give away. So by all means, if you are interested in uh, eating better or starting to get a little handle on some emotional eating habits that you may have developed, go to beatingsugaraddiction.com and, uh, and grab the free guidebooks. Wonderful. So and we'll have that information. Sorry, Dan? I said, feel free to drop me a note too. There's a, there's a contact place on the website, of course, and you're welcome to, uh, if you've got questions or you want to bounce an idea off of me or, or ask for some advice, just drop me a note. I'm, I'm glad to talk with folks. Perfect. 
Well, again, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, wonderful conversation. So really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you so much, Kathy, for asking me to come on. My pleasure. And everybody will talk to you next week on The Health Hub. to The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi, here on Radio Maria Canada.